From our studios in New York, Chicago, and London, this is a Rail Group on Air special podcast series The Coronavirus and the Rail Industry. This is Railway Age Editor-in-Chief William C. Vantuono. Today's podcast is about Amtrak. Amtrak, like all passenger rail agencies around the nation, has been decimated by the coronavirus pandemic. Ridership is virtually non-existent. The Federal Railroad Administration has made more than a billion dollars under the recently enacted Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security, or CARES Act, available to Amtrak. And the FRA will make or amend existing grants to Amtrak to provide approximately $1.02 billion. That's $492 million for the Northeast Corridor and $526 million for national network grants, as authorized by certain sections of the Fixing America's Surface Transportation, or FAST, Act. At least $239 million of the CARES Act funds will help mitigate the cost of providing service on Amtrak's 28 state-supported intercity passenger rail routes where under PREA, the Passenger Rail Investment and Improvement Act of 2008, state governments are required to pay for ticket revenue shortfalls. These funds will be used in lieu of any increase in states' payments. On April 23rd, Amtrak had a press conference That was a way to introduce the new president and CEO, Bill Flynn, who took office officially on April 15th. Mr. Flynn comes from the airline industry, like his predecessor, Richard Anderson, although he does have some related transportation experience in in rail. Flynn was joined by Amtrak board chairman Anthony Kosha and Stephen Gardner, senior executive vice president. This was a press conference open to the general media. Railway Age participated in this, and I had a chance to ask one question, which you'll hear a little bit later on. Meanwhile, here are some responses to some specific questions by journalists from all across the country. Before I introduce Bill uh, and and talk a bit about uh, his joining the company, I I just wanted to spend a little bit of time updating you uh, on the company during these pretty extraordinary times. Um, we, we started this year on track to break even uh, in terms of operating earnings, a financial accomplishment that you know has really never been achieved in the company's history. And, and, um, and we've uh, been part of, it's been part of a, um, a restructuring of Amtrak and, uh, that has been very successful in terms of increased ridership and revenue and customer satisfaction. We went into this crisis um, uh, in, a, in what we believe to be a very strong period of our history, and certainly um, this has presented an enormous challenge to the company. Um, uh, while we continue to operate and provide essential services, we've temporarily suspended several of our routes and modified services in, in most of our routes uh, to basically uh, deal with the reduced demand. Ridership uh, has dropped by roughly 95% uh, as people respond to the public health guidance and orders. 
Uh, at this rate, we believe we'll likely suffer a financial loss uh, of somewhere in the order of $700 million uh, in adjusted operating earnings. Uh, it's possible that the losses could be greater. Uh, to respond to this, we've taken some pretty aggressive measures to cut costs, uh, and we need to do even more to respond as revenue reductions uh, continue, uh, but we will continue to operate in the most responsible and prudent manner. As you know, Amtrak was part of the CARES Act. We received essential funding in order to allow us to avoid layoffs and a major service disruption, and it, it allows us to protect our capital reserves, which are necessary to support our infrastructure and fleet renewal. With that, I will turn it over to Bill Flint, our new CEO. Yeah, well, thank you very much, Tony. You know, as Tony talked uh, about just a moment ago, we've made adjustments to our, our network, and uh, our ridership is down substantially um, today. And that's going to continue for some time. But part of our, our, our efforts right now and focus is to think about recovery and what does recovery look like and, and how, how our operation is going to, going to respond. Uh, this pandemic is going to have a major impact on our business. Uh, we're working through uh, and analyzing what, what that might be. And it's hard to, hard to estimate at this point. But we are preparing for, for phases of recovery, uh, what a new normal may look like. We're, we're thinking through um, based on research and, and what we're able to, to, to ascertain what train frequency might look like in the recovery phase and how might that have to ramp up. What should the contest be on, on some of the trains uh, that we operate? A large and important part of business, of course, is our national network. And so we're partnering with, our, with the state, uh, working with them, uh, sharing ideas with them to gauge what future demand is going to look like and how they envision ramping up uh, the services that we operate uh, for and, and, and with them. We're thinking through what the environment's going to need to feel like on, the, on a train for customers to come back and travel and increase their usage and hopefully uh, through word of mouth, um, you know, spread a, a good story about Amtrak, share a good story about Amtrak and, and create some new customers. During the time of this time of much lower level of operations, we're accelerating our work on our core infrastructure on both our, our track and, and, and equipment overall. And as I mentioned earlier, our mechanical and engineering people are out there um, performing this work and trying to, to take advantage of the extra track time uh, that's available to us right now. We certainly uh, have implemented cost controls and efficiencies across our business, and that's something that we're going to continue to do as I think you would expect us to do. But it's not all short-term, and it's not, really not all, uh, all uh, uh, ramp-up focus. We continue to, to execute on our major projects, everything from the cell of 21 uh, through to, to Gateway. Uh, it's all grounded in our, our, our firm belief of our future role in inner-city passenger operations. Uh, and uh, as well, uh, we're working with Congress and the administration on the FY21 uh, FY21 appropriation and, and also with them as potential uh, new infrastructure plans develop. Um, and we're continues uh, separately to work with the state on a much longer-term view of what inner city um, travel could look like. And given the long lead times to develop routes and, and, and products, uh, that's something we're going to continue uh, as well, um, even as this crisis um, continues to develop. This is Dave Shepardson from Reuters. Talk a bit about how you see the network uh, returning or ramping back up. 
We're conducting a fair amount of research right now as to what uh, recovery and ramp-up will look like. We're uh, developing several planning scenarios <clears throat> that talk about a very modest level of return for the summer and perhaps some ramp in the uh, calendar fourth quarter into uh, into calendar um, 2021. Hi, it's Chris Van Cleve, CBS News. If I could ask you what, as you guys are trying to get a sense for what new normal may look like, uh, as you're doing this research, what are, what what are you leaning towards? What uh, what the future may look like as far as when people start uh, trickling back and and perhaps longer term? What do you see changing? Regardless of vote, about half of the respondents say it's about three three months or more um, before people begin to to um, travel again in 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 in, in a ways that they might have traveled uh, in the past. Hi, it's Dave Porter from Associated Press. Um, I, you mentioned earlier uh, some potential options uh, such as more touchless options or pre-ordering uh, meals and so forth. Hey, could you go into that a little more specifically about what kinds of ways you're looking at to make things safer for the individual uh, customers in, in that regard? There's a whole suite of technology that we've been working on uh, that we're thinking through about uh, that, that I think in general provides customers with more information, more control, easier transactions. Uh, and, and this, of course, is happening across business uh, in really every sector. And we've been working through uh, a really a steady progression of uh, enhancements uh, across our uh, mobile app uh, and the website and uh, trying to connect better to customers throughout their journey. Um, I, I think in response to the crisis we're in now and the changing uh, uh, sort of expectations of customers, we're, we're just looking to see how can we accelerate that work to create less contact and uh, easier use for our, our passengers. So things like our new kiosks, which will come out soon at stations, which are a much-enhanced version of today's uh, ticket kiosk machine. You'll have more information, modern presentation, um, and we'll be able to – we're launching those and much more broadly so that they're widely available. Uh, we've provided uh, gate boarding information via text, uh, and, and pushing out that information generally to in certain stations. We're expanding that capacity so that folks know – right away where to head when they show up at the station. They don't have to time sort of walking around and uh, engaging in more uh, sort of idle time in the station than necessary. Uh, Pre-order and pre-select are, are elements of our upgrades on both our systems back end and our uh, sales system on board to allow customers to both purchase in advance and order directly via uh, the app uh, or web or food service so that uh, rather than having to go and wait at the cafe, uh, we can uh, receive your order in advance and process that order, and then you can come and pick it up and, and have, uh, again, uh, less interaction, but also more ease, uh, more control, and a better overall experience. We see these things as being the kind of innovation we had planned for the company, but them being useful as we look to uh, Again, create a more sort of touchless, contactless environment for passengers as uh, we try and follow uh, and support all the social distancing requirements and give customers a level of confidence about uh, their journey that we think that they're going to need in order to come back to 
to traveling again. Hi, this is Tanya Snyder from Politico. I was wondering what you think is a new timeline for achieving break-even or profitability on operations, um, and whether you expect that you'll need another infusion of cash after September 30th um, from the government to get you through this. At this point, we don't have a firm uh, date by which we think we're back to a break-even, um, in, in part because it's still not clear what the level of ridership will be as we ramp up into this new normal and, you know, how we accelerate the math uh, into growth. And so we're going to have to work to you know, make the necessary adjustments in our company and the scale and scope of operations near term, always with a view to how we grow in a city um, passing the travel on Amtrak. So that's going to take some more time, and that's a discussion that's really ongoing within the company and a discussion that we'll certainly have with our, our board of directors um, on an ongoing basis and, and with uh, the administration and, uh, and our key committees as well. The issue of the company breaking even financially and on operating standpoint, in many respects, is less about the financial result of that, although that's obviously very meaningful on a lot of different levels, as much as it is about the company getting to a point where it is as efficient as possible in being good stewards of the resources that it has. Um, and so achieving operational break-even was always an important goal to make sure the company was as strong as possible so that it could commit its resources to serving our customers. It was always about being good stewards of the money and less about what the specific P&L impact meant. I mean, we don't pay dividends to anybody. We're not sort of doing this in some sort of, you know, purely financial reward setting. We're trying to be as strong as possible a company. I guess I would say to you that having gone through that exercise and having achieved it is the best possible preparation we could have had for what we're dealing with now. Because now we are dealing with a very resource-constrained environment, and we are going to have to be doing more with less, and we're going to have to be using resources as as wisely as we possibly can, and I think we are very well positioned to do exactly that. And, and I think, you know, how this issue unfolds in the future will be a function of our ability to continue to operate efficiently, which, you know, will be a requirement regardless of whether, from a P&L standpoint, it results in a profit or a loss. Hi, this is uh, William Vantuono, editor of Railway Age. Richard Anderson told Labor that he would retain all employees provided Labor agreed to postpone the July 1st wage increase per the existing contract. Uh, did labor agree? What is the status of that? Richard did not make that promise or that, uh, that that kind of an offer to labor. What, what we've been doing since the crisis has unfolded here is looking for every and all opportunity for, for what I would call self-help, to be able to reduce costs uh, in the face of a dramatic fall in ridership, we were then able to go to Congress, uh, work with the administration, and receive the contribution or the grant that we did under the CARES Act. What we've said to our workforce is that it was our goal to avoid any involuntary furlough. As part of that, we did talk with our labor unions about uh, the opportunity for them to delay the July 1 increases that are coming as part of the overall effort to avoid uh, involuntary furlough. So far, no one's taken us up on that request, but we continue to uh, in dialogue with our, our union leadership and continue to work with them so that we both understand where we are uh, in this crisis and how we're, we're going to move forward. 